When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. The shots ring out. A stranger cries, screams out loud. I had my world strapped against my back. I held my hands, never knew how to act. And the same black line that was drawn on you was drawn on me. And now it's drawn me in 6th Avenue heartache. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of the Bob Dylan family, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me this week to talk about not a Bob Dylan song, but a Jacob Dylan song, Sixth Avenue Heartache from the Wallflowers album, Bringing Down the Horse, is my pal and fellow podcaster, Sean Ross. Hi, Sean. Hey, how's it going? It's great. Uh, of course, everybody, uh, as you're listening to this, it's Father's Day, uh, where it will be Father's Day tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day that the episode drops. So I just thought it would be fun to talk about uh, a song springing from Bob Dylan's, one of Bob Dylan's children, <laughs> Jacob Dylan from the Wallflowers. This was actually Sean's suggestion to talk about this. And, and Sean, you can disabuse me of this notion. Uh, but this is my, this is the, we have to, it's the elephant in the room, by the way, we have to bring this up. And that's a phrase I'm going to be using later on in this episode, by the way. Um, you've appeared on a great many fire and water podcast network shows. You've been on a bunch of my, you've been on treasury cash. You've been on film and water. You've been on mountain comics. You've been on uh, JLI. It's midnight. Um, I think there was that brief time that you were married to Cindy Franklin and you did Supermates (laughs) podcast or is that so. I feel as though that you're not a particular fan of Bob Dylan, which is dangerous for to be on the show. And and this was your idea uh, just to chalk up another Fire and Water Network show on your on your ledger. Is that right? Yeah, I've got my Fire and Water bingo card, and all I was missing, <laughs> all I was missing was Bob Dylan. And actually, I was convinced it was a 90210 podcast. So I was like, <laughs> I've got my sideburns going, I got my hair all spiked. Got my little Carmen Gee out in the lot. And then imagine my surprise when I was like, wait, what? Bob Dylan? And I was like, well, I can go Jacob. I mean, I can, you know, so I, yeah, I tried to come in through the back door. <laughs> very, very clever. Exit. I, I mentioned this to Sean. Had he pitched this idea to me any other time, I probably would have been like, mm, I don't know. But the fact that it lined up so perfectly with Father's Day and the fact that even in over the course of 128 episodes or however many I've done of Pod Dylan, I've really yet, not yet discussed the Wallflowers or Jacob Dylan as a musician. And that's something that's certainly uh, tangential to the legend that is Bob Dylan. And so I thought it was just it lined up perfectly that that we're going to talk about uh, a song from from Bob Dylan's on Jacob, the Wallflowers, which, you know, in their they had their moment, certainly. Um, so before we get to the song in question, I do want to ask you, Sean, like, do, what is your knowledge, if any, of Bob Dylan's music? And w- how did you become a fan of the Wallflowers? So I'm, I, I'm, I'm like a soccer mom when it comes to Bob Dylan. <laughs> I think it's like, like I will hear a, a song on the radio and I'll be like, oh, I like that song, you know, and, and, and like, what a clever, cute song that is. And I'll listen to it and it'll, <laughs> it will not be by Bob Dylan, or at least being sung or performed by Bob Dylan. And then years later, I will find out that, oh, that's actually a Bob Dylan song. And that was a cover. So uh, I, okay. oh yeah. So I have a very, uh, over the course of my life and I'm a huge music fan and, I have ver- varied music tastes, but for some reason that was a pocket, and I'm a big fan of 60s music in particular. That was, but that was a pocket that I never delved 
fully into. And it wasn't till I got older that I realized that a number of the songs that I loved and thought were profound and deep were by Bob Dylan. And so, so I would say I have a, uh, a, a Dylan adjacent <laughs> relationship. Uh, I don't own uh, any Bob Dylan CDs, but I do have, you know, his, you know, station on Amazon music, you know, in some, some kind of rotation. So, so yeah, I would say I'm not the the biggest fan, but I'm, I have a real respect for his music, particularly obviously his songwriting. And I, you know, as a, an English teacher, I love language. And so his, his, his ability to craft languages is, is just unparalleled. And then I, I know he had a real huge influence on my favorite band, Counting Crows. Uh, and I did a Fire and Water Records episode with Ryan Daly That's on right. Counting Crows. And, and this is, I mean, I, I apologize in advance for the number of listeners I'm about to cost you. But I said to Ryan that, that Adam Duritz is my Bob Dylan. Now, not, not my generations. I'm not speaking for anybody else. But he is Adam Duritz is for me what Bob Dylan is for you and for other listeners. Where I grew up on his music, the poetry of his music, I have very specific life experiences that are were set to his music or were seemingly reflected in in his lyrics. So I have a real deep connection, which is actually what led me to the Wallflowers, because this is the Bringing Down the Horse is the Wallflowers' second album. And I did not listen to the first album, and I'm not alone in that. <laughs> oh, I've never, I've never heard it either. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, all of us got together and decided to ignore it when it came out. <laughs> and then their second album dropped, and this song is the first single off their second album, right, and Adam right. Duritz sings back up on it. That's right. And because I love his voice, and I zero in on on pretty much anything he's involved in, I bought this CD at the time, and then ended up becoming a real fan of this band as well. And so that that was kind of my in. And so it's interesting for me to be on this show because, like, you know, jokingly, like I said, it's my fire and water bingo. It's the only thing left. But uh, but I am a fan of it, and I do listen to it. And for the most part, I, you know, I, I like the music, and it introduces me to a lot of songs I wouldn't have heard otherwise. But I love the energy and enthusiasm that the guests bring to it and and the different perspectives and stories they bring to it. And it just reminds me of my relationship with, like I said, with Adam Duritz, with my Bob Dylan. So I think it's, you know, it's, I'm excited to be on it, man. It's pretty cool. All right. Well, fair enough. That's a very good answer. You know, I mean, everybody has their own version of that, what it means of this particular uh, musician's work that means to them. So that that's terrific. That's great. And yeah, of course, Adam Duritz does sing backup on this record. Now, I, to give a little bit of context, for those of you uh, not old enough to remember the nineties. It was a great time. You could go outside to restaurants and, you know, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have a Nazi as president. It was a wonderful, wonderful time in America. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, no one bought the first wallflowers record. Nope. No, no one even knew it existed. And then for some <laughs> reason, this second record just popped and I don't really understand why exactly it did. And maybe it got more studio support or more, um, you know, record stu- record, uh, re- record label. Why couldn't I say that record label support than the first record ever, but this thing popped and all of a sudden the wallflowers were everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. Now I have to say at the time, you know, I was, I was, not was I was cause it, it's continued on, but I was as deep into Dylan then as I was, as I am now or whatever. And while I, I went into before I bought the record. I heard the first song and I liked it. But I will admit, I definitely had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder <laughs> with some of the articles that I was reading because all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, this is the new Dylan." 
you know, and I even remember there was an article in Entertainment Weekly where they did like entertain their entertainers of the year thing that they do as like a wrap up. Mm-hmm. And they did like a dual article on on Bob and Jacob. And the writer had the temerity to write someday we'll be referring to Bob Dylan as the father of Jacob oh. Dylan. And oh. I was like, are you effing kidding me? <laughs> that's not you a know? take that aged well. <laughs> no, it is not. And, and, but, and the thing is, that's not fi- that. Like, I have to admit my grudge against the wallflowers kind of carried over. And that's not fair. That's not fair to them. That's not fair to Jacob. And that's clearly something that the poor guy has had to live with mm-hmm. his whole career, because I can only imagine how sick and tired he had to be being asked about this nonstop. I mean, I, I can only imagine every interview you had to do. Somebody's going to ask you the same dumb question. Why don't you cover your father's songs? Some, you know, Constantly, your father, your father, your father. And I can only imagine how awful that had to be. Now, so like I said, then I finally got the record, the, the Bringing Down the Horse record, because I said I liked Sixth Avenue Heartache. And I really like that record. Yeah. It's a really good record. In fact, Sixth Avenue Heartache is not even my favorite song on that record. My favorite song is uh, Three Marlenas. Mm-hmm. I think that I think Bringing Down the Horse is a really good rock pop record. They've had other songs since that record. They have never really quite captured the popularity of that, that, that record. In fact, they, the band actually went on hiatus in 2012, and then they came back recently with something I didn't even know about, um, which says something about <laughs> the amount of support they get now. But, I mean, you know, in the, in the, for that moment, the Wallflowers were huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were a huge, huge – and they were right alongside kind of Counting Crows. It's like they were the new vanguard of, like, what rock was going to be. Yeah. Well, and they were the new vanguard of that mix of folk and pop mm-hmm. and rock. And and that's what – one of the things I've always loved about Counting Crows is they embrace their folk rock side, right? They embrace their sort of – their twang, their their like country rock side, which is funny because it's not what you hear on the radio for them. But but the body of their work is majority there. And I loved that about the Wallflowers. And, and in fact and, – and actually it's funny. Sixth Avenue Heartache is not my favorite song on this album either. But it's the first single, and then as we'll talk about, it's the first song Jacob Dylan ever wrote. So right, I thought it was a right. really important, you know, if, if you're going to go, look, if I'm going to take my shot and ask you to talk about Jacob Dylan on this show, I figured I would go for, you know, the progenitor. I would go for the original song, and and that would be a good place to start. So, um, yeah, I, it's funny. I did not know he was Bob Dylan's son when I first heard the Wallflowers. I don't know how I missed that. I I, I think back on that time, and I was like— I wasn't that into drugs. I don't know, like, I don't know how I missed that, but, but I wasn't aware of it until I'd already had the CD. And then I think I caught them on one of the like vapid MTV shows, like, like total request live or something. And I know Carson Daly was on it because I've been convinced since the nineties that Carson Daly is computer generated, that he's not actually a human being. And, and that actually has been verified over time because I saw him maybe five years ago hosting like a, a New Year's Rock and Eve kind of thing. And he looked exactly the same. Hmm. And there were a couple moments of glitches. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's computer generated. He is there the Max go. Hedrum of the 90s. Sorry, Ryan Daly. But um, and so oh, even and, data ages over time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he doesn't. Interesting. And so anyway, I saw them. And that's when I realized that's when they talked about him being Bob Dylan's son. But what's funny about that is, is I, I never got caught up in it because I wasn't, you know, into Bob Dylan. And then now prepping for this episode and going back and reading interviews Today and the interviews from that time, because this album recently turned, and this is shocking, but recently turned 25 or right. is turning 25. Right. And in reading interviews from it, 
he's actually really careful to to skirt the whole Bob Dylan issue. Like he'll talk about like he he doesn't he doesn't run away from it at all. He'll say like, oh yeah, his music or you know, his you know, he's he obviously has his career that I'll never match, but this is what I'm trying to do. And he'll do it delicately, but he'll he'll move away from it pretty quickly. And in all the interviews I read, the interviewers pick up on it pretty quickly. Like, oh, this is probably not a subject he's going to give me a lot on, you know, and talk about a famously private family. Like he knows how to stay, he knows how to stay locked down. Right. That's probably one of the the things he learned at the side of his father. And so, and so it's interesting because I don't think he's ever dodged it. You know, it's not like he changed his last name or anything. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But I also don't think he like, you know, went out, dined out on it. Like, I think he tried to walk the middle line and I don't know. I really respect that because I'm fascinated by part of the reason I'm fascinated by this band is because I'm always fascinated by the idea of legacy and like, why would Bob Dylan's son choose to go into music when you know, you know, from jump that you're never going to have what your father had. You're never going to have that legacy. You're never going to have that impact. You know, you're not, it's one thing to be a successful musician. It's another thing to be what Bob Dylan is to people. The towering figure of the late 20th century. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's never going to happen. You're never going to be poet laureate. Right. Yeah. And so. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think about the audacity and the bravery and then also it, it ties back to this song because I think the chorus of this song is actually about this idea, which is, look, if that's what he's being pulled to, then he's going to he's going to have to face everything that comes with it. But he still gets pulled to it. He still does it. And I do think the fact that 25 years later he's still doing it and and not to any great success shows that he probably made the right decision like he followed what he loved and so i, I just i'm fascinated by this band i was i'm excited that you agreed to talk about it because i don't have the base the, the bob dylan knowledge but i think bob dylan is kind of everywhere on this song at least my understanding of who he is and was or is in his early days especially and so I, I'm curious to hear your reaction and, and as we talk about this song and like the lyrics and, and everything, because I do think inadvertently in trying not to be, you know, obviously echo his father. I think there are some echoes here, at least that I see. Oh, absolutely. And and I, we will get into that shortly. I'm glad you mentioned about uh, him getting Jacob Dylan getting into a music career because I'm of two minds on the subject. My first reaction uh, initially is sort of like. When you hear about these things, when you see, when you know someone uh, is very famous for with their career, whether they were a singer, an actor, a sports legend, whatever, and then you hear that they have, you know, a relative that's not as renowned, mm-hmm. and they get into it, and you kind of say, "Geez, you, c- you couldn't pick any other career, really." <laughs> um, and 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 my first reaction, I think, when I first heard of that about Jacob Dylan, I was like, "Really? That's the career?" I mean, you know, Bob has like five other children, and none of the other ones are. One of them's a, a film and music video director, and and you know, I mean, they're actually relatively private people, which is probably smart. I'm sure their dad taught them that. Mm-hmm. And so my first reaction was really you had to pick music, but then I I realized, well, okay, but at the same time, imagine being raised in that environment. Yeah. Where music is everything. Imagine living in a living in a home where regularly like the Beatles are coming over. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, yes, not yeah. not as a group, but I mean regularly George Harrison is coming over and, and like Van Morrison and Tom Petty and like the band. You know, I mean mm-hmm. there there were stories about how he took his kids with him on tour yeah. and they ran around the stage as little kids. Imagine growing up in that world. How why would you not get into music? It's it's everything you know. I mean, how could you not fall in love with the idea of doing music when you are so immersed in it? Uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, it, um, so it's like, 
yeah, maybe you could pick another career, but at the same time, why would you when it's probably you, you were you're like genetically programmed yeah. to, to be into it? So I sort of kind of said, yeah, I understand that, and like you said, he can't run from it. He knows he can't, but at the same time, the man deserves his he's his own man, and he deserves his mm-hmm. own. I mean, God, he's like he's like our age at this point. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's not like he's like a little kid and, and you know, he deserves to be treated a, 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 as his own person with his own career and his own. And I remember a couple of years ago, he was on um, Mark Marin's show. And I think Marin even said at the intro that like one of the rules was no questions mm-hmm. about the dad. And then he Marin said he like managed to sneak like one in, you know, <laughs> where it was like, what is it like, you know, sitting down at the breakfast table and there's, Bob Dylan, you know, and he's just, he's like, well, Jacob's like, that's his dad. It's yeah, not, you know, what I mean? yeah. yeah, I mean, so, but of course, it, it's such a push me pull you thing yeah. that you you can totally understand why he would be utterly sick of these questions. But at the same time, how can you not ask it when the guy he's one of like, as far as we know, six people on earth who can say that my father is mm-hmm. the most famous renowned <laughs> musician of the latter half of the 20th century? How do you not ask that? So, and I have to say, I do feel at times that Jacob didn't always uh, wear that thorny crown terribly well mm-hmm. um uh, again we, we are going to get to the song but i did go to the wallflowers in concert in uh, 1997 i saw them at the tla which is uh, in south street in philadelphia and while the show was good i have to say he looked miserable he oh, looked really? miserable he didn't smile he didn't talk and again that's weird for me to criticize jacob dylan for not smiling or not talking his <laughs> father legendarily didn't do any of that yeah. stuff but he looked miserable and i remembered looking at the bass player behind Jacob and I was pretty close to the stage and the bass player looked like he was having a great time. Yeah. He was smiling and I thought, boy, that that guy seems to have it not that guy seems to have it licked. He looks he's having a good time. Jacob just looks miserable. And like people were like yelling out requests and Jacob just kind of like grumbled into the microphone. I thought, this guy doesn't look happy. He doesn't look like he's really happy doing what he's doing. But again, you know, you, you catch him on an off night or whatever. I don't give, I don't, I don't, uh, when, you know, I've been to lots of Bob concerts where he's clearly not in a great mood and I don't, doesn't stop me from going to see him again. So everybody deserves, everybody deserves to have their off night. So it, the guy was really in a difficult position and he probably yeah. managed it as well as he could. Ultimately, that what counts is the music. And like you yeah. said, this album is now 25 years old. I still listen to a lot of the songs. And in fact, just the other night, um, I was I saw a trailer for uh, the Pete Davidson movie King of Staten Island, uh-huh. and the one headlight is like a big moment in yep. the movie. You see them literally singing the song in the, and I'm like, so okay, these songs are these songs are still lasting. These mm-hmm. these songs that he wrote are still part of the culture, and what a great compliment to have that something is still remembered 25 years when so much music is ephemeral and just completely forgotten. Well, I, yeah, and I think that commercial actually just by cultural osmosis might've prompted me <laughs> to have the idea for this <laughs> because I, I started breaking out and listening to this, this album again. And it is, it, it's funny. I think part of it is, is just the natural cycle of things. Our generation, we're in our mid forties, right? So we control the Xanax and Cialis commercials. And so our music <laughs> is going to dominate like our, you know, our, our, our yearning for the music of our childhood is going to, to push these songs back into the zeitgeist, I think. And this is a, you know, this, people forgot how great some of this music was, and in particular this album. But I do think, I, I think it's funny to look back on it now because, you know, they're on a, uh, you know, nostalgia tour, right, with other bands. Like, like I saw them recently with Counting Crows, and I had seen them back in the 90s with Counting Crows. And I, I actually, 
I really liked them live. I don't know. It's funny that you talk about him looking miserable. I think he just has resting Dylan face because he he just look, tried to look really self-serious. And I think that was just the thing at the time. You know, Adam Duritz kind of had that too. And now, you know, they're all older and paunchier and, you know, and, and all kind of can laugh at themselves. And, and having seen – and I don't know that a lot of people can speak to this. You can because you've seen Bob Dylan so many times. But seeing a band that you really love over the course of like 25 years, you almost – in a weird way, recognize their growth cycle where like, you know, Adam Duritz comes on stage now and he's got a dad bod and he'll, you know, screw <laughs> well, up. Well, he had a dad bod at the time though. Well, he did. Yeah. Which is, I, that might be why I identified with him because I was like, I could be a chubby star too. That um, guy can get rock star chicks. That exactly. Guy? Like that oh, guy's man. dating Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely interesting to, to see them age and to kind of age with them. Though I have to say Weirdly, Jacob Dylan is strikingly good looking as an old man. Oh, he is. He's a very handsome guy, no doubt. Yeah, and I didn't see that coming, right? With that DNA, like I'm like Bob Dylan is a lot of things, but strikingly good looking is probably not one of them. His his mom is gorgeous, so I mean, he got a lot of that good genes in there, and he got those eyes, I think, from from his. Oh yeah. So I think that I think that's like a double real real whammy of a combo there. (laughs) But it's I think it's exciting. I'm glad to talk about them, and it's funny that you talked about that being a song in that Pete Davidson movie. Because I do think they're due a, a little revisit, and so I, I'm glad we're talking about them today. Because I do think they're they're they they they're due some due, right? They're due a Absolutely. little bit of credit that they probably haven't gotten, you know, because people have have moved on from this style of music. But we forget that that was a really good album and a really good era for them. Absolutely. All right, so let's get to the song finally. We have enough preamble. We've been <laughs> we've been talking. I love I love the the idea of that we run the Xanax and <laughs> all <laughs> That's the- true. It's commercials. It's yep. if, 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 a, if your podcast lasts more than six hours, please <laughs> check your position. So, so anyway, okay. So I, I initially quoted the, the first two verses of this song and then it continues on below me was a homeless man. I'm singing songs. I knew complete on the steps alone, his guitar in hand. It's 50 years stood where he stands now walking home on those streets. The river, the river winds move my feet, subway steam like silhouettes and dreams. They stood by me just like moonbeams. Look out the window down upon that street and gone like a midnight was that man. But I see his six strings laid against the wall and all his things. They all look so small. I got my fingers crossed on a shooting star just like me just moved on. So, okay, Sean, um, like I this is this is the uh, the way I go after any Bob Dylan song is that, you know, I have always said there is no one meaning to any Bob Dylan song. Mm -hmm. The man himself would say that Uh, it is. The meaning is what you take from it. That is the meaning. And it is no there is no right. There is no wrong. It is what you take from it. And that it doesn't matter if the author himself didn't mean that. That is what you take from it. Therefore, that's what the song's about. So I'm curious you hinted at this a little bit. I want to find out what, to in your mind, is this song about to you? So it, there's a there's a couple things at play here. First, I think it's a song of place. So like you know, in, in art, there's landscape art, and then in poetry, there's they're, they're, they call it the poetry of place. It's you know writing that really tries to evoke a certain time, a certain place, a certain landscape by use of specific detail. And then this for me is a song of place. So this is literally Sixth Avenue, New York, right? Like this is seeing the world around you. With the mix of you know chaos of sirens and gunshots and you know homeless people and you're walking those same streets and the you know Hudson River or East River is blowing you along, so it, it feels very New York to me and uh, and I love that about it. But when we get to the chorus and he says you know the same black line that was drawn on you was drawn on me and that's drawn me in and then he goes, then he goes into Sixth Avenue heartache. 
I my interpretation of this is because he wrote this when he was 18 and, and right. he says this is the first song he ever wrote and they wanted to put it in the first album. But the record label wouldn't let them, so it moved to the second album, which is actually a good thing because no one would have heard it had it been on the first album. But I think about an 18-year-old and you know, growing up, and, and that's about the age where you start realizing where some of your interests lie. And you know, you may not know what you want to do, but you know what gets you going. You know what you – you kind of have an idea of what you love. And I, I think about being 18 in New York. And being Bob Dylan's son and realizing that the black line that's drawn on you is that that muse, the, the pull to music, that like the love of music, the love of creating music. And it's, you know, the same black line that's drawn on him was drawn on, you know, you and that's drawn me in. And some people might think the you is Bob Dylan, right? Like, oh, it's the same line, but it's not. I, I think it's this homeless man he's seeing who's out front playing guitar and singing songs that Jacob Dylan knows completely. And he's looking at this guy and he's like, yeah, that could be where this leads me. Like it's drawn mm. me in and it's Sixth Avenue heartache because there's no guarantee of making it in this business at all. And then I have a double load of I'm Bob Dylan's son. So I'm going to be immediately judged the minute I walk into a room. Every lyric I write is going to be judged against the greatest lyricist of the 20th century. <laughs> so I'm already lost. Like I've already lost that fight. I'm going to have my career will never be as good as his. I will never be the figure he is. I will never even if I'm as successful as possible. I'm not as successful. So I, I've already started out on a path that's failed. It's a black line. It's already – and it's been drawn on me. So there's a lack of agency there. And I really relate to this idea because I do think we have our passions inside us and we find our passions and they they pull us places that we maybe wouldn't normally go. And sometimes that's great and sometimes that's really scary and really risky. And I think he's looking at this guy and he's seeing his own mortality, right? He's seeing the, the potential for failure and he's like – and it's drawn me in and I'm heartbroken by it, but I'm still writing this song and I'm, and in 50 years, I'm in that place you are. I'm down there playing the music, but I'm down there and I'm playing the music. So I'm going to go for it. Like, even though this is heartbreaking and even though that black line could be, you know, the, the pirate's curse from treasure Island, you know, it could be the black mark. I'm going to, I'm going to allow it to define me and I'm going to run into it and I'm going to go with it. But I know ultimately it's heartbreaking. So there's a real pathos for me in this song. And it's not the greatest written song. It feels like a song written by an 18-year-old, right? The, some of the lyrics are a little um, young. And, and, the, even the, and the lyrics don't necessarily match the music. There are a couple times where he's got to force a line into the actual, hmm. the actual um, you know, beat behind him. But I, I actually also love it for that because I think it's it's vulnerable and I think it's real. And I think he let us into the moment of his awakening. He let us into the moment where he said, yeah, I'm Bob Dylan's son. This is never going to work, but it's what I love and I'm going to run with I'm going to run to it anyway. And I think there's a real bravery in that. So I, I've always really loved this song. So that, that's kind of where I hook into it. Um, I don't am I way off base for you? Like, is that what, what are you pulling from it? Uh, no, I'm actually very relieved to hear you say that because when I, you know, finally I finally learned the, the words to the song, which of course in 1997 you couldn't just do because mm -hmm. there was the internet, but it wasn't like stuff was available all that much. So I had to really kind of figure it out for myself. I, yeah, when I heard the song and I finally sort of figured out what I was hearing, uh, I, to me, I just said, oh, this is a song about a guy who is being drawn in to the same a uh, world that someone else is being drawn into. And I was immediately like, okay, he's talking about his father. Mm -hmm. And, and 
again, to use the phrase, the elephant in the room, I feel like Jacob Dylan was almost like, let me just get the song about my dad out of the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll just do it now. And then I can talk about other stuff, but let me just do it now. And you know, the title sixth Avenue heartache sounds a little Dylan esque. Yep. It sounds positively fourth street. Um, the line, you know, being in, in New York, he ran this, you know, that's where his father did the same black line that was drawn on you. It's drawn me. And now it's funny. You took it as this is, this is the singer talking to this homeless man who is clearly struggling in music. That's a very interesting observation. I never really thought of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. But I always look at it as, yeah, that maybe he is talking to his father. That mm-hmm. same thing that drew you is drawn me in. And I'm going to, you know, and as you said, 50 years stood where he stands. That sounds like a, a description of Bob Dylan for 50 years. He stood where he stands. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the guy. Yeah. And then on top of it, singing backup, which we mentioned is Adam Duritz. Adam mm-hmm. Duritz's arguably most famous song is Mr. Jones from Counting Crows. And what's the line in Mr. Jones? I want to be Bob Dylan. Yep. I mean, so it's to me, it's like, it's all there if you want to find it. <laughs> but I also realized that liking the wallflowers and liking Jacob Dylan, but then insisting that their early hit, their, not their biggest hit, I would say one headline was probably their biggest hit. Yeah. But Sixth Avenue Heart, the one that really put them on the map was about Bob Dylan was a little like, I, I feel like if I had ever said that to somebody, they'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, because, yeah, that's all, that's all you think about. You know what I mean? And you're like, no, I think it really genuinely is. His other songs are not about Bob Dylan, but this one is. And it sort of reminds me of, like, um, the aforementioned Ryan Daly, where it's like, Ryan doesn't like Last Jedi uh-huh. for really good reasons, not because he's a misogynist. <laughs> but he doesn't like to talk about it because he gets lumped in yeah. with all the assholes that are just like women in a Star Wars movie. Fleh. You know, and you're like, no, I, you know. so I was like, I never <laughs> wanted, I never wanted to say Sixth Avenue Heartache to me is about Jacob's relationship to music and how it connects him to his father mm-hmm. because that just sounded so reductive. But I couldn't help it. I'm like, that's to me, that's what the song's about. So I'm very relieved that you kind of got the same read as, <laughs> as I did. Well, and I think that this is the other factor of this is he's 18 when he writes it, right? right? So no matter how liberated or free we think we are at 18, we are always in the shadow of our, our parents for good or for ill. And we're always rebelling against them in some way. And then in that moment in this song to realize that like, oh, crap, I can't rebel because I'm drawn in by the same thing he's drawing, right. you know, has, has drawn in. And in a weird way, the line, you know, I love the fact, again, it's all about agency for me. You know, he says the, the same black line that was drawn on you was drawn on me. And I like the idea of that, of the idea of music as a calling instead yeah. of a choice or a career. Because I, I, not, I know this isn't true for everyone. I, I realize that. I've had jobs where this isn't true. But like teaching is my calling. Like the, the classroom is my sacred space and it is the place I am happiest. And it is the place I feel most alive and I feel most um, me. And I, I, would tell people that, you know, teaching wasn't a career for me. It wasn't a choice. It was a calling. And and there's some weirdness that can go along with that. I don't want to go into that weirdness. I know some people have used that term to justify some other things in other careers or other paths. But, mm. but I do think sometimes there's this sort of, I don't know, Socratic internal pull towards something. And I, I think about, again, I just can't get over the idea of being 18, being him, waking up and going, oh, crap, it's music. Like mm. this is just going to end in heartbreak. It's it's Sixth <laughs> Avenue heartbreak, and that, and, and yeah, the fourth, the I, I you know Fourth Street. I I thought that same thing. I was like, oh, you know, even doing a song of place 
and setting it in New York. I mean, of course, that's a, a Dylan reference without even trying to be a Dylan. Like, I'm not a huge Dylan fan. And even I got that. Even I was right, like, oh, right. yeah. And so I do think it's funny. I've never thought of it this way. You put it really, really succinctly. Getting it out of the way is a really funny way to put it. Because the, the other thing that's interesting about this song is this song could only have been created by Jacob Dylan because the, the very famous slide guitar, this, this, the, you know, right, that right. opens it that makes this song, it's Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> right. And he only knows Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers because Uncle Mike has visited his house <laughs> since he was five years old, you know? Like, like he probably bought him his first Sky Striker and, you know, and like – Right. And so he only has access to Mike Campbell to this amazing slide guitar riff because of his dad and his upbringing. But he gets Adam Duritz to sing backup, and he's got Adam Duritz because of who he is. Because right. the Wallflowers came up in the same bars in, in Berkeley and in New York that the Counting Crows came up in. And Adam Duritz and Jacob Dylan have known each other since they were like in their early 20s. And so I think this is such a cool hybrid song because it is a, archetypally a song that only he could create. Because he gets the pull of his dad, and he gets the pull of his own gravity, and it comes together to form a sort of modern pop rock Bob Dylan song that then launches them into better stuff. And I think it's just really cool. I, I, I'm such – I'm fascinated by it uh, and fascinated by the process of it. And then for me, it's more meaningful that they're still playing today because that black line was drawn on him. Like mm -hmm. this wasn't a fad. This wasn't a I'm going to you know trade on my dad's success. No one does something for 25 years unless they're really drawn to it and love it, especially if they don't have success continuously. Right. And I just – I really – I have such admiration for him for pursuing what he loves even when all of this stuff was going to be there from the from jump. You know, No one was going to listen to his music fairly, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, I love the line. Uh, I, again, I think it's an interesting. I I wanted to mention that Mike Campbell played guitar. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, but uh, I love. He said the line about I'm singing songs that I knew complete. Again, that sounds like what. Of course, Jacob Dylan knows some of his father's songs by complete. How many times has he heard them? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he heard them around the house. Uh, I love the, the the penultimate verse, which is the look out the window down upon the tree, and I'm gone like a midnight midnight was that man. But I see his six strings laid against that wall, and all his things, they all look so small. Now, of course, like a lot of great Dylan songs, there's multiple meanings there. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I would say the fair read, fairest reading is to say he is talking about the homeless man. He's talking about the homeless man's six string laid against the wall and all his things, which obviously the guy is homeless. He's got his all his possessions there, and they probably do look somewhat ratty and small because they're kept outside, which is not something, you know, you normally would want to do. But I also took that line as again, and all his things, they all look so small as again, like I'm sure that Jacob Dylan spent a lot of time in the recording studio with his father and, you know, to us or to people that worship uh, Bob's music, uh, this stuff seems huge. Mm -hmm. You know, these, these, these towering achievements in popular music. And yet, you know, they were just, they were made by guitars, you know, they were just made by, you know, no scribbled notes in a book. If you look at them all, you know, like you look at the, the little red notebook that uh, Bob wrote all the blood on the track songs and you're like, God, this looks like um, a high schooler's notebook. And yet contained in it is one of the greatest albums ever recorded. And I could see in a, in a weird way that for someone who grew up around this stuff to where it wasn't special, it, the stuff would look small. Mm -hmm. You know, and not in a not in a pejorative way, not in like it's bad, but in a kind of like, wow, this thing doesn't look all that 
impressive until you see it finished and then it's this thing you know what i mean it's that kind of i mean imagine like one of the one of the most famous songs in in the in his father's canon is forever young mm-hmm. and that was ostensibly written about jacob I mean, it's written about all his children. It's written about any children, really. But imagine that. Imagine yeah. going through life. It's always thinking about uh, Julian Lennon. Hey, Jude exactly. is written about It's like <laughs> going through life knowing that one of the most famous songs in yeah. the history of popular music is about you. Yeah, what no a weird, what a, what, yeah, what a weird thing to know every day of your life. So well, it's, it's just remarkable. Thing, yeah, and it's one thing to be the girl from Ipanema, right? It's one thing to be like, <laughs> oh, my right. beauty inspired a song. It's a whole other thing to be like, oh, my father, you know, pulled words from the heavens and wrote yeah. this song about me. And now I want to go into that same career. Yeah, yeah I, I, I actually I read that, those, those lyrics very differently. I think when he says, you know, I look down, the man's gone. His things you see his six strings, but these things look so small. I think the fact that he zeroes in on the guitar right. is the important part for me, because if everything looks small, but the guitar is in in range, is, is in his visual you know, center – then it's it's that idea of like well everything about me is small except this like mm. like I like my life is small without music and I just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disappear I'm not gonna be the small life I'm gonna follow that guitar where it takes me even though the song is telling me it's gonna take me into heartache and it's gonna take me into like you know obviously Jacob Dylan is never gonna be homeless right but his I you know maybe his version of homelessness is just being adrift and is being without mm. the thing. That keeps him afloat. And I, I, I read that line very differently. And I, I think it's for me, it's, you know, because he follows it up by saying, I got my fingers crossed on a shooting star, just like me just moved on. And that idea of that shooting star being, you know, the, the, muse, the thing he's going to follow his muse. And it's he's just got to move on with it, even though probably the world will move on without him. And I, I'm, I'm fascinated. Again, I don't think this is the best written song in there. Um, you know, repertoire because it's it's written by an 18 year old, but I am fascinated by the undercurrent of it, and I right. do think it's somebody wrestling with that choice of how to pursue a future. And again, I just I mean, you said it. I cannot imagine. I mean, really think about for a second what it would be like for people to walk up to you every day in your life and cry because of who your father is and what he means to them. Yeah, and, and his music, not him. They don't know him, but his music. And I can't, I can't even imagine what that would be like because at a certain point you just go, well, I'm never going to ever make an impact like this. So what does that leave me? And all it leaves you is your passion. And man, you're lucky if your passion is microbiology because you can make an impact there. Right, right. You know, and you're lucky if your passion is carpentry, you can make an impact there. But, you know, he, that black line is the same black line drawn on the, on his father and for most people, it doesn't lead where his father led. It leads to the street. And I just think that's such a – there's so many cool dynamics at play here that I, I find this song fascinating. And it, it reminds me of his and their career, which I think is equally fascinating. I do that like like that line. I got my fingers crossed on a shooting star, which to me is like it's a crapshoot. Yeah. You know, it's a crapshoot because obviously a shooting star is ephemeral and you can't really hold on to it. And it might it might last and it might not. And in a lot of ways, unfortunately for the Wallflowers, it really didn't last. Yeah. This, this album was huge. And then they had another album, which was less huge. And I have that one. And there's some good songs in it. There's mm-hmm. uh, some other songs I still listen to. There's He has a song called Some Flowers Bloom Dead, which I really like a lot. That's a good, angry, bitter breakup song, which I <laughs> relate to. And, uh, and, and, you know, but the Wallflowers didn't really, you know, I mean, they, they didn't 
make it in terms of the, their studio, their recording uh, company's support. Yep. Uh, and again, they are back. I mean, I was shocked to learn when I was doing some research um, how many people have been in the Wallflowers. And it, <laughs> it lists it lists something like um, 15, 16 people. And I'm like, God, that approaches like spinal tap numbers. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, I had no idea <laughs> that this many people were in the Wallflower. So it, other than Jacob Dylan, it really is. It's basically Jacob Dylan's band yeah. with different people. This is sort of Jacob Dylan and the Heartbreakers kind of thing. Yeah, um, and and you know, I mean, again, they're, they're apparently they are they are back with another record again, which I haven't heard of. But I mean, they're you know, he's still out there doing. He did release some solo records. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one called I think Women in Country, which I remember thinking was pretty good. So I mean, he's still out there. He's still out they're doing it and and props to him and and i I like what you said about you know if you are the son or the daughter of someone massively famous Mm -hmm. uh yeah god help you if you want to do the same thing they've done i mean what are you supposed to do are you supposed to not do it because they did it that doesn't seem fair but at the same time boy you just really hope you can just find your passion in anything else just so you can go off and like you said be the greatest marine biologist in history yeah you know great because you got the money you know you got that your parents have the you know your dad or your mom has the money to back that but you can go off and, and make a name in your own way without having to just sort of be follow of and that's unfortunate and I, I will say one last comment I have about the seeing the Wallflowers live. I had read this early on that early in the Wallflowers career, uh, Bob would come to the shows. Oh, wow. Uh, to watch the shows. And initially, apparently, Jacob would tell them, the guys, oh, my dad's coming. And it would freak them out. <laughs> and they would be like, and so eventually they got to the point where they said, don't tell us anymore. Yeah, because because now we're going to now, you know, all the rest of us are going to be all like <laughs> Bob's watching. So now they stopped. They stopped. Uh, he stopped telling them. And I will say that when I saw uh, the Wallflowers at the TLA, and for again TLA, pretty small place. I will admit, while I was there, <laughs> I was looking around. You know, and now like, like Bob's going to be in the crowd, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but at the same time, I also felt bad that I wasn't maybe giving the Wallflowers their my full attention. That I yeah. was like, hmm, 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 <laughs> you know, who's that guy in the hoodie over there? That might be the guy. And it, that's not fair to them either. So, you know, I, I. It had to be an incredibly difficult situation for Jacob to maintain. And like I said, the mu- it's the music ultimately that, that matters. And the yeah. music has lasted. So good for you, Jacob Dillon, that you created at least well, at least one record that has standed, stands the test of time. And that's hard to do. That's more than most bands do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's like you said, it's a great record. And there's a, there's a video for it. Uh, the, yeah. the Wallflowers were very... You know, video-heavy band, you had to be in the 90s. Uh, and again, as you said, Jacob Dylan, not hard on the eyes. So I'm sure they were, sure they were happy that they had a very charismatic and camera-friendly front man mm-hmm. uh, to, to be in their videos. And so, yeah, overall, it's, it's a really, really great song. And like I said, I'm so relieved that your interpretation, while different than mine, is on a similar track. Because it just makes me feel so much better about my belief that this is about his father for all these years. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you you brought up the video. Do you know who directed that video? I should know this. It's who did it? David Fincher. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, geez. David okay. Fincher, who would go on to direct Fight Club, Zodiac, Seven, who you know, did the, the Mindhunter show on Netflix. Like, David Fincher. I had no idea. So I went back to watch the video to prep for the show. And and it you know talks about like you know, this is a really famous video and I actually find it nauseating because it's all these short black and white cuts of them right pieced together almost like a flip book and I don't know if it's an older being older or something but I'm like oh this is hard to watch like this makes me dizzy <laughs> and then I looked and I'm like oh my god David Fincher so talk about hooking into 
you know, somebody kind of famous right at the start. Yeah. And I also found it really interesting because David Fincher tends to film movies that where the protagonist ends badly. <laughs> and I was like, that's oh, that's, true. that's ominous. You know, that's a little portentous that maybe their career wasn't going to go quite the way they wanted, but, you know, still went well. And I, yeah, I, you know, just to, to put a bow on it, I do. And I think this is age, you know, as we get older, hopefully we get less jaded and we get more understanding of the, of the things and the choices that take people places. And I just really, I, I just am, am really enamored by the bravery it took for somebody to, to be Bob Dylan's son and go. I mean, I just can't, I, I was trying to think of a correlation. Like I couldn't, I was trying to think of another figure who inspires the emotion and the pathos because it's not just being famous, right? It's not like being Mick Jagger's son. If you're Mick Jagger's son, whatever, and you get up and shake your butt, you know, and, and are you know overly skinny, people are gonna be like, oh, haha, he looks like Mick Jagger. But that's not like being Bob Dylan's son. And I was trying to think of a corollary, and this is so bad, but the, the closest I could get would be to be like a the son of like a, a great figure, like a the child of like Gandhi, or you know, <laughs> no, I mean honestly, or like you know, um, somebody who had a profound emotional and that's probably not the best example but like it's really hard to think of a, a corollary for bob dylan because you think of somebody who had that kind of profound emotional experience and or impact on the culture and i just yeah i can't imagine the power the weight of that shadow and then to have the audacity to be like yep i'm gonna shake it off and do my thing i just think it's so cool <laughs> yeah my now that you you just i just thought of it i mean one example i could think of would be like the the children of john f kennedy yeah. Uh, who, of course, was just mentioned in a recent Bob Dylan song. But like, I mean, the, the weight of that, you know, mm -hmm. there was so much emotion loaded into John F. Kennedy and what happened to him that being the children of that man and sort of like, you know, people looking to you like, are you going to be the next big political thing? That had to be an enormous amount of pressure. Yeah, uh, to be on on John F. Kennedy Jr. and the daughter and and uh, Caroline, excuse me, um, you know, to, to to when when you go around with that name. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people have managed it better than others, yeah. but I mean, yeah, it's got that, that emotional weight on it is just got to be massive and it's got to be really hard to deal with. Uh, I'm sure all the money helps, but, uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, yeah, I mean, it said, it's a overall, it said it, it's a great song. It was fun revisiting it. And so, well, again, Sean, thank you for, uh, for, for volunteering this. This was a really fun idea. And it, you know, like I said, I, I, it wasn't like I was avoiding talking about Jacob Dylan across the the breadth of the Pod Dylan run so far, but I just never had the real opportunity to. But it always was like, well, it, I do need to mention it at some point because it is part of the overall arcing of his life so mm -hmm. far. Is that he has this son that was also a hit musician as well. So thank you so much for for bringing this up, and it worked out perfectly. This is is a great Father's Day episode to talk about a song by the son of Pod Dylan. Yeah, and happy Father's Day to everybody. Uh, and I and I actually I want to say bingo. Like this was it. <laughs> this is the one square I was missing. <laughs> we got to get you on Mirror Factory sometime. I have asked me, and 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 Max has dodged me. So I don't know. I'm not taking it personally, but you know, I really <laughs> like. I am an English teacher, so I would I would really fit the the oeuvre of that show. <laughs> Come on, Romero, get on it. All right. So very cool. Well, again, uh, Sean, thank you so much. You know, I always enjoy talking to you, and it was great to be able to have you on Pod Dylan. Finally, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? So I'm at, on Twitter at Sean42AZ, and uh, I'm on the Pulp to Pixel podcast network, which is totally unrelated to anything 
Bob Dylan. Uh, we cover Marvel Comics. We talk about Marvel Comics Secret Wars, their big series. We talk about series like What If. And so if you're a fan of the Marvel Universe or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're a, f- a fun network where we talk about silly things like comics. Uh, and, you know, just as far as music goes, if, if this was a good episode, then I like I said, I did do a Counting Crows episode with Ryan Daly on Fire and Water Records. Right. And actually, I, I was on the first Soundtrack Selections episode with Ryan. Uh, and, and, you know, his shows are amazing. So I would check those out, too. Speaking of dodging me, he he won't have me on his soundtrack show. He's always dodging me, and we're we're on the same network, but he's dodging me. So yeah, I, I know your I know your pain, John. Uh, well, awesome, thank you very much. Of course, everybody, if you want to subscribe to this show, go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. We're always talking Bob over on Twitter, which is at Pod underscore Dylan. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, go to patreoncom podcast. and there you can unlock various rewards. One of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, and another supporter who will remain masked and anonymous. All right, everybody. Uh, Not only, of course, is this weekend Father's Day, but this is the same weekend that was the release of the latest, newest Bob Dylan album. The first new Bob Dylan album in eight years, Rough and Rowdy Ways, is out this weekend. So, uh, first of all, I thank any of you if you're listening to this Instead of listening to the record, I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this episode. Um, but I just will let you know that the next episode of Pod Dylan will be an album review of Rough and Rowdy Ways. Uh, I am super excited to talk about that. So that's going to do it for now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you later. Bye. Bye.